McNulty stunning for to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the PO Forecast, episode 152, recording on the 21st of July, 2022. I'm your host, Freddie Webb. It's me again. Yeah, I am hosting again because Hugh is still ill in bed. We all send his best wishes and Andy is still hunting venomous creatures in Australia. But I, I'm not alone again. Thankfully, I've got another guest on and it's a really special guest this time. You may have seen him on Twitter on at Pompey Stats and it is Mr. Joff Taylor. How's it going, man? Good evening, Freddie. Yeah, not bad. Thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, doing all right. Doing all right. M- feeling much better today than three days ago, and it's quite obvious why. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do a lot of work Monday, Tuesday. I think I was sat in my room just yeah trying to avoid the heat, but melting at the same time. Yeah, yeah. No, literally, I, I, I didn't have that luxury. I was wor- I was working on early live shifts, trying to respond to breaking news in desperate heat while keeping the Andy Moon ticker in the background. <laughs> <laughs> well, sport, we're not sport. We're not giving anything away to me at that time, which was disappointing of them. But anyway, so obviously, we're going to chat about the big news that literally broke today: Colby Bishop signing from Accrington Stanley. We'll give you the entire lowdown on him. Then we will go into your listener questions about Colby Bishop himself, whether you think it's a good transfer, and what transfer business you think that Pompey still need to do while they still can, while the transfer window is open. Following on from that, we have some other news bits. I'll go through them. Uh, firstly, the new kit. We will run down that. Trialists who may or may not be interesting, Brandon Purick and Terrell Thomas. We will also go through Pompey's second signing in recent weeks, Josh Udawayemi. Goalkeeper, young goalkeeper from Spurs, so I'll give you a bit of lowdown on him. We'll also go an interview from Rico Hackett, which is in the news, which I think was very interesting. We'll go through his position next season and some of his thoughts. And then there are some, obviously, some injury news as well. But the big thing, Colby Bishop, the saga was mental. It literally lasted from Monday all the way until Thursday. Initially, he was going to sign on Monday. He had a medical penciled in at three o'clock on that day where Fee already agreed. Apparently, Bishop had also said goodbye to his Accrington teammates by that time. So it was pretty much done, almost as done and dusted as you could get. Then Championship Blackpool swooped in last minute and looked to have all but nailed on the transfer. I think it was Alan Nixon, former Sun journalist, I believe, on Twitter that broke that. It got so bad that Danny Cowley said that the transfer was, and I quote, the door is closed. So literally, it seemed like no chance for Pompey at that stage. And we were all very upset. Andy Moon had gone to bed. I was close to throwing things against a wall. It wasn't very nice. But then the next day, the transfer for Blue, uh, Blue Prey Road collapsed. It was in an exclusive article from Matt Scrafton of the Blackpool Gazette. 
he basically broke the news that while the fee and some personal terms had agreed, Blackpool and Chloe Bishop, that transfer just ended. No, no reason was given why, but it did. In my personal opinion, Blackpool had a lot of strikers on the books already. Gary Bedeen, Shane Lavery, Jerry Yates, and they also liked Jake Beasley, who we mentioned on the PO Forecast transfer special, and who was on that at Rochdale. So there are plenty of options. But today, all of that now doesn't matter. He signed for an undisclosed fee, but the fee has been broken by Andrew Boone, Chris Wise, Alan Nixon. It is for half a million pounds. That is with Aldons all included into a bundle. That is compared to Accrington rejecting a £1.2 million bid from Peterborough United last year. Bishop had one year left, so there was less um, negotiating power for Accrington and they felt, felt like they had to sell him. Kind of the same with Marcus Harnest. And he was also revealed in the new kit. I'm out of breath by going through all that. Joff, can you, <laughs> can you give us your thoughts on the entire transfer saga, what you were feeling and... What do you think now that Bishop is finally through the door? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, he's a cracking player. He's done really good things at this level. Excited to see him, yeah, whether it's up front of the zone or in a two with Piggott or another striker or Curtis, I guess. Yeah, looking forward to see what he can do in a Portsmouth shirt. But yeah, I really rate him. We'll go into the stats in a minute, I guess. But yeah, they look they look really good for kind of what he's been signed for. But yeah, the saga was... Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Uh, Monday night, thinking, yeah, great, great signing. And then on Tuesday, everything falling through. And yeah, it was. It did seem to be kind of a bit typical Pompey, I guess. Just us cocking something up at the last minute. You know, bigger clubs, well, not a bigger club, but a club from a higher league coming in with more money, it seemed like. And yeah, somehow we've got it back. I believe he... Was it a failed medical at Blackpool? That's kind of a rumour I've seen thrown around that was the reason why... He didn't sign for them, but I guess he signed for Portsmouth. And to quote uh, Mr. Eisner, it's all good. So Bishop has come in on a three-year deal with an option of a fourth. Before we dive into a bit deeper, what do you think of the finances behind this? Uh, the half the half a million pound transfer fee, the fact that he's 25, is in his prime now, and the contract length. What are your opinions, Joff? Yeah, I think half a million is... Good fee. You mentioned it was 1.2, 1.3 mil that yeah people were offering. Did they offer? Did people offer 1.2 mil or did they reject? Accrington rejected 1.2 mil from Peterborough last summer. So yeah, that you know he could have gone for that last summer. Arguably, from an Accrington point of view, that's a bit of a loss. Although he's he's got well, he had one more one more year left on his contract. So kind of a similar situation to Harness, I guess. But no, 500k seems like a really good deal considering we spent. Well, definitely over a million on Marquis. I really rated Marquis at the time, but it just didn't really seem to work out in his final year. But yeah, three-year contract's a good thing. I've noticed that a lot of the signings we've made have previously been on two-year deals, which after their first season, if they kind of haven't cut it or have gone really well, clubs will be sniffing around or they've kind of got to get rid of them at a cut price because they've only had one year left. So the three-year contract with the option of a fourth does seem to be a smart move. That will take him to his what? 28, 29, which is kind of peak years for a for a footballer these days. So yeah, all all in all, smart business from us. I think at the very minimum, it gives Pompey a two year window with him because yeah. uh, I'm not sure if that option is a club option or a player option. That entirely depends. If we do about that, that would be brilliant. But if you, if you assume like the majority of clubs in League One, if a player gets their last year of their contract, you sell them, you have two years of 
Prime Colby Bishop. Other uh, other players seem to be happy with the transfer. Um, Andrew Moon tweeted this. For, he's from BBC Radio Solent, if you don't know. I really like this tweet. He said that from Danny Cowley, he discussed what Bishop was like with Robertson, Ogilvy and Raggett, our key centre-halves. <laughs> and they said, I asked them for the toughest forward they played against in this division, and they all said Colby, which says a lot about his attributes. Given that quote, and we'll, we're going to go into the, his analytics after we've done a brief chat about what sort of player he is. For you, Geoff, what sort of forward is Bishop if you had to explain it to somebody who had never seen him play? He can score goals. He's not kind of, I mean, people quote 20 goals a season striker. You don't really get those anymore, but he's a reliable striker, but also creative. Um, we'll go into the deeper analytics in a sec, but his distribution and his creativity stats are pretty good, as well as his jewels. So, Someone who can be a thorn in the side of a defender. Yeah, that quote from Andrew Moon's pretty telling, isn't it? I think, yeah, three centre-halves saying that was their toughest opponent is pretty telling of how, how good he is. So yeah, he's, I rate him highly. Yeah, we did a deep dive into Colby Bishop on the transfer special of the PO forecast, which you can go back and listen to. Gabe Sutton gave us some great insights into him. We pretty much agreed that he is that tenacious pressing striker not like a complete forward or like a more of a target man but he's going to press heavily into the center halves he's going to get in the faces of the of opposition defenders he's going to try and win that ball he's comfortable fairly on the ball i've seen him score multiple types of goals he's a complete handful last season he scored 14 goals i believe this is an all comps going to y scout from 15.86 expected goals so slightly under what's expected but it's not by the biggest amount where I'm concerned, in, in my opinion anyway. Joff might, might be different on that. And he also had five assists from 5.44 expected assists, which any striker with a high number of assists means that even without looking into it even deeper, he's useful in and around the penalty area as well as in the box. He links up with the players around him as well, which is excellent. It is one of the things that drew me to him in the first place. Um Joff, what do you think of that expected goals gap? Do you think it's a big deal from what you've seen of him? And do you have any other stats that you'd like to mention? So, yeah, look, concerning ex- expected goals, there's I got it down as I did it on a per 90 basis. So uh, he scored 0.25 goals per 90, so exactly one in four from an expected goals of 0.31. So slightly underperforming, but not so much that you should be concerned, as you've already said. He scored, I think, two out of the eight penalties he's taken. No, he's missed two out of the eight penalties he's taken, sorry. So, I was going to yeah, say, that's... that would have been horrendous. Why are you bragging yeah, about that? <laughs> we don't want that. Yeah, so he's uh, scored six out of the eight penalties he's taken. So that's essentially in line with the expected goals metric for penalties, which is uh, 0.76, I seem to recall. But yeah, as you said, he scores lots of types of goals and is really good uh, kind of attacking and defensive duel. So wins the ball a lot in the air, wins it a lot in the ground. And I have here, he's in the top 90th percentile for all types of duels so if you take 10 players he's going to be the best one or two out of that which is kind of perfect for Cowley's pressing style of football as well as if you know the goalkeeper's punting it long and he's pulling wide that he's gonna you know more times than not win it in the air which is yeah which is perfect for Cowley and that, and that is duels in all situations as well that is winning yeah. the ball high in the air that is winning the ball while out of possession but also I think a big thing which in League One especially, a lot of people who don't follow the analytics as much but watch the game, 
They hate it when a striker loses the ball or any player loses the ball for that matter and gets muscled out. Bishop's not going to do that. Very strong, very compact. And also one thing I noticed is he had a high number of decompletions. And this is, and these are decompletion is a pass that mm. is in the penalty area and slightly around it, almost like a semicircle. He, he, he will be that buzzing striker all over the penalty area. And if you remember back to his Accrington days, he played with a strike partner with Dion Charles, also played mm. in the 4-3-3, which is sort of on his own. He seems to be quite flexible in that manner. And I think in total for Stanley, out of his 123 appearances, he scored 39 goals. But he did much more than that. Do you think the big thing looking at Bishop here is his all-round game rather than just his goals? Yeah, he's a very complete footballer. Yeah, as you said, he's not kind of that stereotypical complete striker where people kind of conflate that with a target man who can, you know, just run through and score one-on-ones. But he's a lot more than that. He can drop deep, he can play the ball, he can win aerial duels. Yeah, he's a top player. I did have a stat down as well where in terms of shooting, comparing him with George Hurst. And we know how well George Hurst did last season, but Bishop was, out of all centre-forwards in League One last season, he was it in the 46th percentile, so just below average. And George Hurst was in the 52nd, so only just worse. But we have to take into account that Hurst's kind of quality of chances at Portsmouth would have been a lot better than Accrington. So, you know, given given more chances or yeah, given a different strike partner and a different system... Uh, who knows what he can do with over here? You mentioned him being in that percentile. What do you, what do you think that means for people who are not used to comparing players and percentiles so, like that? So, in terms of the percentiles, he is essentially the average striker. So, if if fifty percent is average, George Hurst was at fifty two, Bishop was at forty six, and I actually have Marquis down as well from last season, who was at forty six. So, if you want to compare him to Marquis on a direct level, feel free. But yeah, he's a very much a different player to John Marquis and yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll thrive. I certainly think he will. Uh, I was very happy with the signing. I think the big thing also, it was Danny Cowley's first choice striker. He yeah. was after him for ages. There was lots of rumours whether Pompey would actually put a bid in and that rumbled on and then the, the harness sale sort of set everything off, even though negatively we thought it would, it would end badly. Almost in the sense of the opposite of the Joe Morrell transfer, because you thought, oh, Blackpool in a higher division, they'd be they'd be able to persuade him, especially ge- geographically as well. But no, Pompey have got their man, and from the listeners, the majority of them are pretty happy as well. We put the question out there, just saying for your opinion on the Colby Bishop signing and what else Pompey needs to do in the transfer new window. We got a lot of feedback on this one. Thank you so much, as always. I've narrowed down. As many as I could before the show, and there are some that are probably coming in now, actually. But we will go through as many as we can without repeating ourselves too much. Matt Horn messaged in. He said, starting last season, we had Marquis and Harrison as our main strikers. This season, we have Bishop and Pigger. I'm not one for tempting fate, but that looks like a considerable upgrade to me. I just hope they both hit the ground running. Glad not to have other clubs saying that Bishop is a donkey as well, which is nice. Yeah, compare, comparing from what Pompey are now, these two strikers, we've been clamouring for strikers all summer, but we've finally got two strikers now. Whether Cowley will play with two up top or one, we don't know yet. Are you happy with the overall attacking transfer business, Joff, that has been yeah, done I'm, already? Yeah, I'm pretty pretty happy so far. I think there is definitely room for a couple more additions, but what we've got so far is a definite upgrade on last season. Yeah, I think 
Pigger and Bishop are both players who can play in the style of play that Danny Cowley wants. And I think whether that's in a two or just one of them spearheading the attack, it's they both can do it. So that's plenty of flexibility. In, you know, in times if someone's injured or Cowley needs to rotate, you know, those Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday games are pretty relentless. And that's going to kind of be even more compacted with the World Cup happening in November this year. So, you know, kind of the more depth we have, the better. But yeah, as I said, they, I think there is kind of scope to get either another kind of development player, kind of under 23, under 21 in on a permanent or maybe another loney as a centre forward option and as well kind of yeah in the number 10 slash winger role I think we need yeah we need to replace Marcus Harness yeah he was our biggest attacking threat last season and yeah we've got two really great strikers in Piggott and Bishop but in reality we do need to get someone else in uh, whether that's a loan I'd be pretty happy with that or someone on a free who's been released by a Premier League under 23 side but yeah we one more, one more kind of attacking signing. I think we're just about there. Yeah, I, I think it's fairly positive so far, in my opinion. Really, is it is obvious that the, the starting eleven is forming, isn't it? We're getting we're getting an idea of what that could look like, which is brilliant. But like you said, I think I think that World Cup points is massive. I think last season we had a horrible luck with injuries. Yeah, horrible luck with injuries. There, there, there was a lot of them. We've had injuries this preseason already, which we'll go through. So depth is essential. And I think most of the listeners who commented also pointed that out. Alfie John agreed with our assessment on Bishop. He said, it's a massive upgrade on what we had this time last season. Can see him and Pig working well together. Hope a nice partnership can be formed for Sheffield Wednesday away. Joff, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do it. Two up front with both of them or a formation with one of them and maybe using the other as a sub. I'm tending towards both of them. I, I think against Leighton Orient, we were playing a 4-4-2 or I kind of had it down as a 4-2-2-2. Kind of a similar system to where, unfortunately, those lot the road play. But kind of more made, more made famous with Pellegrini and Man City and a lot with the Red Bull clubs uh, over in Germany and Austria. But yeah, they play with kind of two focal point strikers who are, can either come, come short, run in behind, both can get goals. But more importantly, with kind of wingers who can play as a 10 I think Michael Jacobs is perfect for that in that role uh, Rico Hackett can do that role as well I think coming in off the right as I said one more signing kind of in that role would be perfect but I think both of them have the potential in a 4-4-2 or a you know if you want to kind of expand that to a 4-2-2-2 that's the right amount of twos isn't it would be yeah I think I can see them working really well together yeah, and it fits with um, Danny Cowley's formations last season. He sometimes played a two. There was the 3-4-1-2 with the cam behind the two strikers. Also in the 3-4-3, the front three were very fluid, weren't they? Yeah. They were right, right close together and they moved around an awful lot. You could have, let's say, Piggott as the main focal point right in the middle, but Bishop since he's right-footed, I think. Right-footed on the right side with maybe a Curtis or a Jacobs on the left-hand side in that setup. Or if you wanted to play one of them, I think the four-two-three-one is probably the easiest out of that. But no, it, what it what it does give is it gives Cowley flexibility, and that's probably yeah. Cowley's favourite things. But apart from pressing pressing attacking football, those things go hand in hand, don't they? Christopher Moat messaged in said, "I'm very happy indeed. Still think we need to sign another attacker or winger, or perhaps two of them, given Jacobs's injury record." Happy that Cowley has, uh, has managed to get at least two of his main targets in Josh Griffiths and Colby Bishop. Yeah, I do think there's that there needs to be a tiny bit more depth in the forward areas. 
especially to replace Marcus Harness. Yes, he was inconsistent, but we went through last week his analytics and they are going to be a massive miss goal contribution-wise, even though it's arguably the right time to sell him, considering you have one year left. You're probably looking at a right winger unless you want to play Hackett on that side or another player who could potentially play as a striker or a cam. Joff, have you got any idea on names if you have them, but the type of player that Pompey needs to bring in in that setup, either as a winger or an attacker? I think, yeah, ultimately someone with pace. We don't have a huge amount of kind of real top end speed. You know, we've got players who are quick, but no one who's noticeably quick. I think. Think we were linked with him this week on loan, but Raksaki, the young winger from Crystal Palace, who's played left wing predominantly, but can also do a job up front or on the right wing, seems to be kind of available on the loan market. I think he'd be perfect type of player to either kind of develop in that ten in that ten role, or if we're playing kind of a three up front, you know, he could do a job out on the left or on the right. Yeah, he's left footed, so we could yeah have him on that right hand side, cutting in on his left, but. Yeah, he's a player whose goal record in, in the Premier League too, so the under-23s Premier League uh, was as good as George Hurst's when George Hurst played a season in that division. So I guess if he can do it, if George Hurst can do it in League One, Raksaki can also do it in League One. And yeah, I've got a couple of Palace mates who, yeah, he comes highly recommended. So if we can get him on loan, that would be, that would be my number one recommendation. Mm-hmm. I think a few things on that. One, where did you hear the link from was it from Twitter was it from another news news source and two you're going to have to try and play down this gripe that I always have with lone players Joff how many senior appearances has he played and are you going to take my old man opinion down saying that senior appearances don't matter should I be worried that he doesn't have many if he does because I'm not sure on him as a player I've quickly googled Raksaki Portsmouth and the first link is from the sun so I'm not going to click on it but uh, in terms of full men's football appearances, he's made two appearances in the Premier League. Well, 80 minutes in the Premier League, I think. Both those were from the bench. couple in the EFL Trophy. They were in our group last year. He didn't play against us, but he did against Wimbledon and Sutton. Scored and assisted there. So, And then I believe that is it for men's football. So in total, 273 minutes. So not loads, but as a development player, I think he'd be perfect you know, on loan even for a season to, yeah, see what we can get out of him. You didn't mention his first name, did you, Raksaki? Uh, I'm going to pronounce it incorrectly. Uh, Jezurin. Jezurin Raksaki. Well, we'll keep an eye on that name uh, as we head further into the summer. Jack Cummins messaged in saying, a centre-back on loan as cover and a number 10 to back up Jacobs, and I think we're cooking on gas. I've been banging that drum of a right-sided centre-half for ages. Hugh shot me down, mainly because by that point we didn't have any strikers. But we need, in my opinion, a right a right footed centre half, especially if Cowley plans on loaning out Haji Minogo rather than keeping him as a backup. We need we need that Hayden Carter type replacement, don't we? Unless we're looking at Zach Swanson playing right sided centre half if we're playing a free, just to add a bit more flexibility, don't we? Yeah, I think it all kind of hinges on if we loan out Minogo or not. He played really well against Orient, I thought, but. Yeah, if you keep him there to develop, I think we'll manage to get by. Because, yeah, Pack can drop in centre-back. I think he did in the game out in Spain. But, you know, you want him in the midfield. You know, that's his position. We don't want to be swapping play- people around too much, which we kind of had to do last season. But, yeah, if Minoka goes out on loan, kind of ideally uh, loaning someone in from the Championship and the similar mold to Hayden Carter, 
uh, would be ideal. Someone who can progress the ball really well, both by carrying it and passing it. Yeah, Cart was a goal threat from corners as well. And he scored that screamer. I can't remember who against, but belted it in the top corner last season. Someone who can, yeah, be a goal threat from set pieces would be ideal. But yeah, it does hinge on whether Minogue goes out on loan or not, I guess. It definitely do- it does. I think it entirely depends on if Cowley wants to be. I think he, he said in an interview ages ago, he said that keeping Minogue would be selfish at one point because he wants to give him game time. So we'll have to see where that, where that goes, really. John English messaged in. He said, we made we made some huge steps compared to three weeks ago. I would love to get more players in, obviously, as we need more depth on the wings and maybe in defence. The first comment there is a big thing. Three weeks ago, we were all falling over ourselves and scared that Pompey weren't going to bring in the right players, mm. that we were only going to get free transfers and have five loan slots again and be very worried. But now, out of the players who have come in, we're, we're very happy with it. Joff, what do you think overall of the transfers that have been made? And do you think it's a good window? Do you think it's the best window Pompey have had in a while so far? What's your thoughts? I'd, yeah, I'd definitely say it's the best window we've had under Cowley so far. I mean, we've not played a competitive game yet, but in times in terms of kind of the stats and uh, the stature of the players, I think under Cowley, it's definitely been our best window. Yeah, I think, you know, the season starts on the 30th of July and everyone's kind of been counting down like, to our two weeks to go. We haven't signed a striker and that's, you know, very valid. You want as much time as possible with your players. But I think our starting 11's there, a bit more depth for kind of the bench as well. And I think, I think we're just about there. But, you know, I think people had a right to, yeah, be annoyed that we hadn't gone, got business done earlier. You know, you want as much time. You know, ideally the whole, ideally Piggott and Bishop would have gone to Spain with the other players, got to know each other on a on a social level and a level on the pitch. But, you know, it didn't happen. It is what it is. And hopefully they can kind of embed into the Cowley system with ease and as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. I think so too. A couple more comments. Uh, the, the Earl of Ealing, I don't think it's that Earl of Ealing, said it's a good window so far to building a starting eleven. Probably next season we need to build up our depth to really challenge for the playoffs. I think we agree with that. There are some... There are some positions missing and effectively with the big congestion of games around Christmas, that's going to be really big. Lewis Pete also messaged in saying, I'm very happy with Bishop and intrigued about how we'll fit him him and Piggott into the side. I think we need a centre-half, right winger and a striker and could probably see all three being loans. Joff, that last point there interests me. How do you think Cowley should use the loan market this season? Do you think he should do it in a similar way to last season where it's mostly first team players or do you think you should try and mix and match try and get the best players available but also not overload the squad with loan players so if for example we don't go pro this season then we're in the same position again we're on the roulette reel trying to replace multiple positions yeah of course I think three of our best players uh, or three of the five best players for us last season were loanees in Bazunu, Carter and Hurst and so you don't want to be over-reliant on them, otherwise you're going to be chasing people in the transfer market every window. But I think to, especially in a season such as this season where there's such a congested fixture schedule, building depth is key. And I think with loan signings, that's that's ideal. I think, yeah, the positions mentioned there, centre-back, right midfield and a striker are the three, three kind of positions most in need. I'd also argue that even maybe in, in centre-midfield, whilst Morel's at the World Cup, even a two month, three month loan whilst he's out there just for just for cover. If you're loaning out players like Jewett White, you know, you're gonna want centre midfielders on the bench. So hopefully 
it won't come to getting someone in on loan because of injuries or anything like that. But yeah, those two positions are, are the ones we kind of need to invest in the loan market, but not as starters, but in terms of depth, squad players is what we need. I think it would totally depend on who's available, won't it? But that comment yeah. on centre of the field is interesting because I think even with Morel gone, you've got Pack, Tunnicliffe, Thompson and Mingy. Yeah. Who, who will all be able to either start or fill in, in my opinion. Mingy did okay in his few appearances at the end of that season. Tony yeah, Cliff is fairly well. solid league on centre midfielder. I like Lewis Thompson a lot purely from a defensive standpoint. So I'm not sure if I fully agree on centre midfield getting like another depth piece there. Personally, I think it's we need other positions, but that's like a luxury, isn't it? I think, which you were yeah, alluding th- to. Yeah, I think so. And it would ideally kind of only be for that first half of the season when Morel's at the World Cup and, you know, touch wood, we don't have any injuries, but you never know what, yeah, you never know what might happen to your squads. We had Ogilvy playing centre midfield, I think first game of the season last year and then Sean Williams. Yeah, he he looked very uncomfortable, poor guy, because (laughs) I don't think he'd ever played centre midfield. No, I'd never seen him play centre midfield there. Excellent player, but just excellent centre half and left back and even left wing back, just not a centre midfielder. No, it's one of those positions where you kind of um, you can't just drop in there and yeah, I think someone you know, hopefully we don't get those injuries but if they do happen, that's the kind of that's where I see scope for signing a centre midfielder on loan but hopefully everyone stays fully fit and yeah, we do have good depth there, especially you mentioned Mingy's enter last season, he was really good I thought coming on for Thompson mostly I think and just, yeah, he looks natural in there good first touch, controlled the play well I think it was when we're beating I think we're beating Gillingham 3-1. He came on and just slowed the tempo down, frustrated them, but you know looked really elegant whilst doing it. So there's definitely a player in there and hopefully he can get more minutes this season. Oh, yeah, I hope so too. And I hope the injury bug doesn't hit Pompey hard again like last season. <laughs> Touch wood. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cowley's cows messaged in. He said, both players, talking about Bishop and Piggott, hold up the ball and come deep rather than stretching the defence. A pacey, aggressive, running, attacking midfielders are going to be able to be the main focus now in the transfer window. I expect loans to be used. I also expect Jaden Reed to get time this year and we need a centre-half and for and another forward at a minimum. We mentioned on the podcast before the need for the third striker, I think. In my archetypal brain, it would be someone who's good enough now to fill in as a depth option, but with high ceiling on a permanent, so we keep him. The big thing out of that, I think, are you happy that Piggott and Bishop aren't purely penalty box strikers? Because we've had penalty box strikers before, Tyler Walker, and it didn't work out as well. Are you happy that they can fully integrate into um, the pressing game and not yeah. just hanging on the last defender in the penalty area? Yeah, I think I think so. Whether we play with a two or a one up front, I think the way a lot of modern football's going now, a lot of goals come from the wings. And if you look at Liverpool, Roberto Firmino is kind of their number nine he doesn't score loads he's not a traditional penalty box striker he comes deep and he can play the ball win duels and stuff and you know all their goals come from Salah and Mane and a few from Van Dijk at the back but you know that's the way football's going and that's the way that kind of Cowley wants to play with a similar pressing system so yeah if we can get goal scorers on the wings you know Curtis always contributes really well Harness is a big loss but you know Hackett is you know is a goal scoring threat he played he had minutes up front, he had minutes at left wing, back end at right wing and in the 10 role last season. So I think, you know, give him consistent minutes in one position and, you know, he can come good and contribute there as well. Pompey Dazzler messes in saying he's very, very happy. 
I know it's money we got from selling, but at least it's going back into the squad and spent wisely. Another pacey winger would be nice. That's a big thing, isn't it? That I know the owners get a bit of flack, but they said that any money generated through transfer fees will be put into the squad, and it has been done, which is great. Yeah, uh, where do you stand on their financial commitment on the pitch, Joff? Because I think pretty much every fan is happy with all the developments of the stadium and the training ground, aside from a few nitpicks here and there. The academy is a different matter. But what is your opinion on the Eisner's investment on the pitch? Is it is it good enough? Is it sensible? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's yeah, sensible is the word you'd you'd use to describe it. I guess it's one of those things where we're having to sell to invest in players and you know we've been stung so many times before financially so it is I guess nice to have that stability I think I mentioned it earlier with you know getting your players in early you know for pre-season and stuff and I think it it's one of those things where if we knew we were going to sell Harness and or Curtis then you know why not spend the money on Bishop and get him in early for pre-season I think that's the I think that's the only thing only problem I have with kind of the model that we've got at the moment, you know, ideally we get the players in early and then sell. But, you know, we've got, you know, Cowley's got his number one target. Can't complain too much apart from, you know, the amount of time he's got with a squad to gel. It's what, nine days now till eight days before this goes out live. So before the start of the season. So, you know, not a lot of time at all. But yeah, that initial investment would be nice. But, you know, we've been stung before. And so... Yeah, I you know, sensible approach is probably the right thing. You know, you see clubs in the championship and our division spending silly money just to get out of it and then get relegated from the championship and then they've got players on ridiculous wages in League One and you know, that can quickly turn into a downward spiral. So yeah, the sensible approach I largely back. Yeah, I think I think <clears throat> I'm in two minds with it. So I don't I don't mind them not paying ridiculous wages. But this transfer could have easily gone wrong. It almost did. We, we, yeah. we, we almost lost Bishop in a day because they waited for um, the harness money first when they could have taken a small calculated risk, put the money down for Bishop beforehand if you knew you were going to, you were going to try and sell harness. Even yeah. though at the time, Ipswich were the only team that matched the valuation of harness. But hey, we'll, we'll be arguing about that and we'll continue to argue about that for a while, I think. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Pompey and Canberra messaged in saying, on paper, our match day 11 is looking pretty strong. It's the depth for the squad that's lacking, but a few more players, possibly loans, should put us in a quite decent position going into the season. Out of the depth options in the squad, Joff, which players do you think will have a breakout season? Which ones will which ones will fully push for a first-team spot? Yeah, I really I said it before earlier on, but I really think Mingi, Jay Mingi looks you know, quality at the end of last season. It'd be nice to see him kind of get 90 minutes under his belt, maybe in Carabao Cup or Papa John's trophy games. I know they're kind of not as kind of intense and competitive sometimes, but even him getting 90 minutes under his belt at kind of with the first team would be really good. And I think he's one of those players that can push on. Yeah. And kind of, you know, him and Pac, Pac can be a great mentor to him. You know, someone who's done it at the championship and league one level for so long. And so, yeah, hopefully they can form a relationship and kind of, yeah, he, he can learn a lot from, from Marlon Pack, but Jay Mingy's kind of the one as well. And I think Hajime is always going to be in that conversation, you know, if he sticks around and 
doesn't go out on loan. But even you know, if he get, gets loaned out to a League Two club or a lower end League One club and plays in that centre back role that Cowley's kind of earmarked him for, I think, yeah, I think he'll thrive. He's got um, that tenacity that you want, but he's also very skillful. Yeah, there's highlight reels and looking around Twitter and YouTube of him. Very, very cool and composed in his own box sometimes, just, you know, turning a player when I, I'm screaming, pass it back to the keeper or just clear it, but he's got that composure. So, you know, if he can develop that in his ball playing game, then yeah, I think the season for Minoga could also be really, really pivotal. I love Minoga's ability. It's just whether he could put it all together in terms of playing the ball out at his feet, being physical enough to deal with opposition strikers. I think positionally is his big weakness for me. I think we've seen him out of position a fair few times, playing as a right side of centre-half, right back or wing back. I don't think the fact that he's played all those positions in a few amounts of times has helped. But I think yeah. the, the way that he'll get better at that is purely game time. And yeah. I think no, I agree. maybe a half-and-half half measure if he has a six-month loan spell in League 2 from January or even a full one if a team is interested I think it would be quite big Mingi will see because obviously there's so much competition in front of him it's going to be quite hard to start with I think my pick and we're going to talk about him in depth a bit later on Rico Hackett for me I think he had a a proper breakout season he had something to prove I think after not being played for ages free kicks free kicks were astounding didn't look out of place at all when many people thought he would do and yeah, for a depth player who's going to break out a bit, I think that's my pick anyway. Yeah, I definitely rate Hackett. I mean, um, he showed willingness to kind of play in other positions as well, playing at wing back, up top, number 10, on the right-hand side of a midfield. So, you know, if he can nail down minutes in a consistent position, then he's got every chance. And yeah, his set-piece delivery is really good as well. So yeah, he's he's another player, I guess, who's got that versatility to play in different different formations, different systems and stuff. So hopefully he can crack on this season as well. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly hope so too. Forrest Watson messaged in. He said, Bishop is a class signing, but does this mean Danny Cowley will go two up top? The bit at the end is the interesting bit. Both Bishop and Piggott have to start. Do they have? Do both of them have to start, Geoff? I would say not necessarily so. You know, if you're playing a 4-3-3 with... Just for sake of example, Curtis right out on the left and Hackett on the right, both cutting in onto their stronger foots. Only one of Piggott or Bishop's going to start. And that that will purely be down to, I guess, fitness level or what the opposition, how the opposition line up. So I think it's fine for them not both to start. Ideally, both. I'd like to have them both in a front two, whether that's in a 4-4-2 or a 3-4-1-2. I think both can thrive in those systems. But yeah, you know, if you're playing with a, single focal point up top only one of them can start and I think that's fine especially you know we've said it before but when the season's going to be congested fixture wise you know they're not going to be able to play 90 minutes week in week out especially if we're playing 4-3-3 and one of them's got to do all the pressing on a back on a back four and such so I think yeah there's scope for rotation there which is good and scope for competition as well you know if one of them's thriving the other one's going to have to be you know, pulling up trees in training or doing really well in the 20, 30 minutes they get at the end of a game. And so, you know, that can also breeze, you know, good performances from the other. So hopefully there's some healthy competition there if we are only playing one of them up top. I think the big thing will be entirely depend on what opposition they're playing. I mean, is it nailed on that you play two up top at Portman Road or Pride Park, for example? At home, 
most of the games you'd probably like to see a, a two up front and very attacking wing backs or attacking wingers to st- to to keep on top of the game and control the impetus of it. Yeah. But I think there's scope for flexibility there. Um, it doesn't have to be two up top all the time. The final comment's quite funny, but if you have kids in the room, skip forward 30 seconds or so. <laughs> Marek Zadfaniki, I'm sorry if I butchered your, your second name, was very happy with the Colman Bishop signing. He said, fuck me, yes, I'm still wanking into my combination kebab. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I, mean, anything, I don't think anything more needs to be said, I think. I think, I think we've rounded no, off. We've rounded up everything from the listener questions again. Thank you so much for the messaging in. What the Colby Bishop transfer also did, we also saw the new kit. Joff, is it terrible? Because I, I looked at it and I thought, it looks like a Pompey badge put on a training shirt. And I know it's Nike and obviously the templates get moved around a lot. Yeah. It, you seem to be very big on kits. Well, I, I'm, a yeah. bit, I'm a bit hit and I'm a a bit blasé about them. I don't care as much as probably you do. So g- give us your your hot take on this kit. Is it terrible? I, I wouldn't say it's terrible. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's a relatively nice template. I think my main frustration is that it's literally, I think someone posted on Twitter earlier, you can literally buy this shirt for 11 quid in, at Pro Direct and get your badge sewn onto it for a fiver. And then perfect, you've got a sponsorless Portsmouth shirt for under 20 quid, right? It's a nice template, but it's not a kind of, Pompey template it's you know the sleeves people have said it make, makes it look like a Peterborough shirt and the blue isn't you know that kind of royal Pompey blue so I'm not yeah I'm not a huge fan there's no red trim I yeah like, a, I, small, a small bit of red trim around the white that, that, that's not there either which is a bit no shame. I'm always I'm always a fan of the of the red trim the I think it's the 1920 kit with the white polo collar and the red trim on the side that's that's a really nice kit I think that's my second Second favourite home shirt we've had with Nike. But yeah, I will admit I've I have seen the other two kits. I'm not gonna describe them in massive detail, but just say which is your personal favourite. I'm gonna say, or... yeah, I was gonna say the second the second will be popular, the away kit, and the third, yeah, it's gonna be pretty uh, divisive. Yeah, from the people who I've known who've seen it. Half of them love it, half of them hate it. Personally, I hate it. When it comes out with a player pictured in it, it's probably going to look really good. And my opinion is going to change. But as it stands, yeah, I'm not a fan. A proper, no. a proper Marmite shirt. Yeah, I won't say too much. No, 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 you uh, don't won't say, say too much more. But, uh, but uh, all I'll say is, again, I'm not that big on kits. I might buy a shirt this season. I'm not sure. I've already bought season tickets. That's already a big investment. Yeah. Um, I'm also a scarf man, but I don't see myself getting rid of the symbolic 2016-17 League one, League 2 winning scarf. Uh, just like my dad, he has a scarf of the, the fourth division winning side back in, I think, the 60s. Nice. I'm going to have to double check with him. Yeah. That. But yeah, I'm not getting rid of that either, so we'll see. But I think in the future, especially with the 125th anniversary around the corner, I know nothing about this, but I think it would be more than the template for that anniversary, you'd think. Yeah, I've seen some stuff floating around that there's a kind of support group advising people on you know all sorts of uh, things to commemorate the 125 years and i think that's great and with that i think a kit was mentioned so hopefully we can get yeah a really nice special 125th anniversary kit yeah i believe it's still gonna be with nike i think this is our next season will be our last season with the current contract who knows if we're going to extend that further but hopefully they can you know pull out something bespoke and something that we can we can all be proud of and be donning on our summer holidays uh, I'm sure they will. No, we'll, we'll see what happens next season with that one. 
Pompey also signed another player this week, obviously gone under the radar because we're all looking at Blackpool local newspapers and other things. Pompey signed Josh Uluwayemi. He is a goalkeeper who, who signed on a free transfer from Spurs. He has mainly played at youth level for Spurs, but has also made one league appearance for Maidenhead in the National League. I think his other came to fame is he also featured in a Chris MD YouTube video where YouTubers took shots against him. Aside from that, I don't know much more about him. Uh, what have you got on Josh Uluwe? Yeah, I think, well, I was going to say the Chris MD video. Here's uh, a bit of light analytics, but... Did you uh, do Chris well MD. in that video? I didn't watch it. But well, I... I watched it. He also Chris MD also did a video with Ben Foster. I believe Ben Foster conceded fourteen, and uh, Oluwi Amy only conceded five. So by all accounts, he's yes. better than Ben Foster. <laughs> he's pushing for the starting <laughs> spot already. Yeah, no, you know, there's not a huge amount of data to go on. You know, I think he's played six games at Premier League two level, so that's the uh, under twenty threes league. But from that, he conceded. 1.25 goals per 90 from post shot XG of 1.78. So he's essentially saving one goal more worth than he should have every two games. So that's a positive. You know, he's keeping things out. So yeah, Cowley said he's a good shot stopper and good with his feet. I compared uh, some long pass percentages with himself and Bazunu. Oluwe Amy's got 64% on a pass and then Bazunu's got 69%. So marginally less. But we know that Cowley likes his goalkeeper distribution to be mixed. You know, sometimes centre backs or centre midfielder can come short, and sometimes you know, can play it out to either flank. So if he's got both things in his locker, then that's great. The one thing I'm minorly concerned about is that it's only a one-year deal. With I think with it as a club option of another twelve months, but I'd you know I'd rather kind of have that as a two-year deal with another twelve months on top, so we can potentially send him out on loan for six months and have Stewart as the first choice backup or play him in the Papa John's and Carabao games and see how he gets on. But yeah, that's the kind of only negative I have to do that. And it's not with him as a player, it's to do with the finances. But no, it looks to be, looks to be an astute signing. Yeah, that's what I've got on Oluwemi. And it's a lot more than what most people have, I think. Yeah, I think it's a it's a low risk signing. He's he's twenty one years old, young for a goalkeeper. Yeah. I I always think, even in your early twenties, I don't think for a keeper anyway, you need to have played a lot of senior minutes. It obviously does help, in my opinion, mm-hmm. in my very biased opinion. I like I like young players to have played lots of senior football. That's yeah. a little caveat I have. But no, I think that's fine. Looking at FB Ref, which is footballreference.com, it said that he played 16 matches in the league at Premier League 2 last season. Started all of them and doesn't break down his clean sheets, unfortunately, but it does break down three wins, five draws, eight defeats. But that's Premier League 2 level. I don't think the match results matter there. And yeah, low risk signing. Basically confirms that Bass will be out the door soon, which personally for me is very sad. I rated him, but I mentioned before several times, you can't keep him as a backup at the age he's at now. He needs to be playing. And yeah, I hope he he gets his football elsewhere. No, I was going to say, yeah, I think Bass is a bit of a loss. I think we'll come on to that a bit later. But in the string of games he put together in the dreaded COVID season, he did, you know, I think it was 15 games he played. He did just as well as McGilvery and, you know, unfortunately didn't do... There's a bit of an error in the second leg of that playoff against Oxford, which led to their equaliser. But, you know, he's a good keeper at this standard 
yeah, I do think it's a loss for us, but you know, I wish him well and hopefully he can get consistent minutes wherever he goes. Mm-hmm. We talk, we'll talk about him now, actually, since we're on goalkeepers. Um, I only think he had two real poor games, in my opinion. Obviously, playoff semi-final, second leg, that one huge error. Then that Carabao Cup game against Stevenage, where I think he started, uh, yeah. didn't he? It, where yeah. he looked shaky as anything. I wasn't sure if that was an injury. Then McGilvery came in later and then saved all the penalties. So probably yeah. gets the next round <laughs> of that, which um, put him in. But no, I've always re- I've always rated Bass, but he was in that really like that tweener spot for a keeper where if Pompey are pushing for the playoffs, he's not quite there, and he needed first team football badly, but was saddled with being the backup for slightly too long, in my opinion. So I do hope he uh, gets his opportunities for another club. Yeah. Some some trialists were brought in. Brandon Pirick of Crystal Palace was one of them. Pacey winger, nine appearances. Was Palace's second youngest ever player to play in the Premier League, apparently, according to Jordan Cross in the news. He also played for Kilmarnock, and I'm going to butcher this, this second club's name, Visual Bold Club in Denmark. Jordan Cross thinks he's comfortable with the ball at his feet. He can play both wings, which is what I think is a nice depth option. He can play both sides. And according to Scout, he averaged 4.34 dribbles per 90 with a 68.8% success rate, which I think is very decent. And he's also apparently getting some interest from Montpellier of all teams, according to Cross. So even with a player like Brandon Pirick being on the radar, do you think that's the sort of depth option at the wing that Cowley should look for? Yeah, definitely. I think he's, uh, you mentioned he can play um, left or right midfield. Uh, yeah, he's a pacey player. Yeah, 20 years old, free agent. So exactly the type of kind of development signing that we want. Um, can play those pizza trophy games. Yeah, and hopefully can develop well under Portsmouth. By all accounts, he's a good player. Got some first team minutes in the in the Scottish first division for Kilmarnock. And yeah, a few other minutes with in the Danish league. So yeah, hopefully he can crack on with Portsmouth if we if we do try to kind of choose to take up the option of, of getting him. You did you didn't want to pronounce the Danish team's club name, did you? Absolutely not. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Another player who was on trial, uh, Terrell Thomas, centre half, who played for Alexandra last season, also had a long spell Wimbledon in League One uh, in his career track. Also played for Reading only a few times in the Championship. But for me, being biased, he was relegated this season with Crew. And he was a centre half, played 13 games for a team that conceded 83 goals in the league. I know he's right for two, but is that the sort of centre half that we're after? I guess, kind of player profile wise, he's got a relatively good amount of experience at this level. He's right footed, six foot three, so good high option, you know, by the book, should be good in the air. But, you know, if you're if you're shipping that amount of goals in League One and you're part of part of a defence which is doing so, it's you know, it's not it's not the best. So, you know, if it's between him and kind of a lone player that might even have the potential that Hayden Carter had last season, you know, you go with the loney. But yeah, I guess we'll see. Cal, I guess we'll make the decision after him getting some minutes in friendlies over the last couple of days. So yeah, I you know, if Cowley thinks he's good enough, then I back him enough on that. And, you know, hopefully he can be a good depth player or, you know, if you decide to play three at the back, you can slot into that right-hand centre-back role with ease if Monoga goes out on loan. But yeah, I kind of back Cowley's judgment on whether we should sign him or not. Yeah, for me, it entirely depends if we're going the three at the back or the back four, which we mentioned earlier, because I don't think four natural centre-halves is enough, personally, if we're going for a back three anyway. Yeah. One player 
who we mentioned earlier, who I, I think is going to have a breakout season, is Rico Hackett. He had a good interview with Jordan Cross in the news recently. He mentioned uh, a direct quote, I wasn't happy at Portsmouth. That was in relation to his first 20 months at the club before, uh, under Kenny Jacket, where he didn't make a single senior appearance. He was also loaned out to Southend at that time. Now, though, he played semi-regularly last season, played all over the place. He said he wants to nail down a position. That's the big thing for him this season. And he said his favourite places to play are out wide or as a 10. Which position do you think he suits better? Personally, I think out wide. And I think he could, even though he's left-footed, I think he can fill in the right wing spot, potentially as an inside forward. But I wanted your opinion on that. Yeah, I think I agree. He's got scope if we play a four through three to be that kind of player in the in the wide right channel. But you know, he is versatile. You know, he played a bit of left wing back last season. He's tall as well, so playing playing him out wide kind of is good if you're whipping balls in, you know, they can tall tall wide midfielders or wing backs can, you know, get in at the far posts, you know, especially if the fullback's small. I think Marcus Alonso does that really well for Chelsea when he plays. He's kind of a auxiliary striker when Reese James is crossing the ball in. But yeah, if he can yeah, I think out wide is definitely his strength. I think Michael Jacobs I prefer as an option at ten. Or if you're not playing with a ten, you're just playing with two kind of traditional centre midfielders and two strikers, then you know, you've kind of got to put him out wide. But um yeah, hopefully he can have a breakout season and, you know, build on, you know, the good work he did last season. Yeah, I hope he can as well. Some of his analytics were interesting. He, out of his 34 games, he had 2,047 minutes. I believe that's a little comps, according to Scouts. He had five goals from 3.7 expected and three assists from 2.62 expected assists. I think the big thing for me is he does fit that profile of progressing play, but also being that aggressive, fairly pacey winger. I'm not sure. I'm not, I can't really remember if he has like lightning quick pace, but I don't think he was slow either. He averaged 4.35 dribbles per 90 with a 55.6% success rate, which I think is pretty reasonable. He also had 1.63 progressive ones where he, it was a long dribble, at least over a third of the pitch, which I think is very big for wingers in this side. I think they need to unlock chances by themselves, skin fullbacks, create space for other players as well. What do you think when I said those analytics to you, Joff? What is your opinion on them? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, you can't disagree with stats, really, can you? Yeah, I well, think he's... Uh, I think some, <laughs> we know that some people do. I, I know, I've seen you put that Chris Addison meme on Twitter, on Twitter repeatedly <laughs> whenever expected goals is mentioned. But any chance, to, any chance to reference the thick of it on there. But yeah, good finisher, I think. If he plays in a wide forward role, that um, Harness kind of generated a lot of chances for himself. And if he can kind of channel that, you know, cutting inside, you know, he's got a cracking left foot. You mentioned earlier, he's got you know very, very good set piece. But from open play as well, you know, developing that game of oh, I'll show them on the inside. Can I play in play in a fullback that I've created space for, or a striker who's made a run to the near post? That's kind of the bigger part of the game that he could develop. But the analytics are promising. And I think, you know, as many minutes as he can get under his belt would be ideal. Yeah. He had a pretty bad injury towards the end of last season, which kept him out, which is a shame. So we could, yeah, I mean, the more players, the better, right? But we could have really done, yeah, with another decent left footed option in the side. So, yeah, he brings value there as well. The only other left footed options, I think, at the moment, we've got Arogel V and the other left back, so humans. Who else is it? 
Vincent, human Vincent. Yeah, it's Liam um, Vincent from Bromley. <clears throat> who, yeah. who, who needs a lateral leg loan, in my opinion. Yeah. He needs yeah, those games, considering that massive injury he had, that kept, that shin injury that kept out for ages. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, another left foot kind of balances out the side really well, opens up more passing options if you've got, I think we had Ogilvy on set pieces, at least kind of deeper free kicks, whipping the ball into the box. He was on set pieces against Orient, which is, he's good, but ideally you want another left foot specialist, you know, as a secondary option. So yeah, if you can develop more than perfect. Pompey were wanting for set-piece delivery last season, weren't they? I think there were so many times where we would get a corner and groan yeah. because the set-piece delivery was subpar. Same with a free kick that wasn't a shot. Just the crossing was always off. And that was one of the many reasons why the side struggled with just taking their chances for a while. We had spells of set-pieces and doing well with them, but then there were so many wasted with the crosses going everywhere. Do you think if Hackett plays regularly, do you think he should be on free kicks from the right-hand side, whipping it into the corner? Do you think he should be on corners? What do you think? Yeah, I think, again, the more options you have, the better. You know, I'm a fan of in-swinging corners, putting pressure on the keeper. So definitely a left-footed option there is good. And Ogilvy's good in the box as well, so you don't want him taking corners and, you know, missing out on opportunities to score. So, yeah, I think, you know, the more left-footers... In the sides, obviously you don't want a side full of left footers, but you know it creates a good balance and again set piece options um, to be able to whip in. And yeah, he scored a couple of really good free kick goals last season. So hopefully, hopefully we can score a set piece goal quicker than we did last season. I think it took us a fair fair few games to actually get a goal from a set piece, and then it was a Connor, it was a, I think it was a Connor from purely from memory, a Connor, Connor Ogilvy header. I think. Yeah, I that remember, sounds. I can't remember for the right. life of me who it was against, but Hackett is also good at progressing the play, which I really like. Yeah. He averaged 3.3 passes to the final third per 90 with a 60.3% success rate, which is fairly high considering that those sorts of passes are more difficult and they're the sort of passes that County wants. Whenever Pompey gets on the ball, he wants the players to attack quickly, unlock those spaces. That's how Pompey created their chances so much, even when. They didn't have possession against, on paper, stronger opposition, hmm. but also against lesser opposition because that's just that attacking quick play is what a lot of people want. I think the error of the era of um, having eighty needing eighty percent possession for a team to be good is gone, isn't it? You don't need hmm. to control the entire game to create chances, can you? Yeah, I think yeah we need to be kind of self sufficient, and you know if we don't have the ball, a huge amount of the game you know we need to be able to create those chances when it matters you know there's some really good sides in the league this year as there were you know the past few seasons they've been you know some huge names and some other smaller names who've done really well but you know we're gonna you know you know we're kind of in that top I guess half of clubs in this division that are going to be really pushing for those top six spots and it's a you know relatively tough call how that top six is going to be made up right now because uh, there's still a lot of work to be done in the transfer market, but we're not going to, you know, we're not going to be dominating possession every game. There are going to be clubs wanting to play their own style. We're going to want be wanting to play our own style. So the kind of, you know, quicker we can get the ball in transition and shock teams, and you know, get our goals quickly and be self sufficient in doing that, then the better, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. We need to be flexible, not too flexible, not too flexible where we don't have an identity. I think Pompey's playing style I think that is the identity itself but just making minor tweaks against the opposition that's usually the way that uh, successful sides build around anyway yeah I agree 
we've already mentioned this season that injuries and injury luck is going to be a massive thing. Danny Cowley's side have already had to deal with a few injury concerns in pre-season. The biggest one was Joe Morrell, who will miss the first three weeks of the season as he had surgery on a small but persistent grumbling, in quotes, groin injury, according to Danny Cowley. He's apparently, uh, Morrell's apparently had the issue since June when he was in a training camp with Wales. Joff, how big of a miss is Joe Morrell for the first three weeks of the season? I agree that he should have the surgery because if it's a small thing that's irritating him, he can't have that for the rest of the season. But do you think that's going to be a big miss for the first three, three, three weeks or do you think there's cover there? Yeah, I think we've got, you know, we've already talked about the depth we have in centre midfield. So hopefully he won't be too much of a miss, but he's one of those players where if you're picking your kind of starting 11 when all fit, he's he has to be there. Ideally, if it's in a two, it's him and Pack. I know that's harsh on Thompson and Tunnicliffe as well because they're both excellent players, but they'd be the two who kind of complement each other the most. Um, and in a three, obviously him, Pack, and another one of the aforementioned Thompson, Tunnicliffe, or Mingi. But yeah, we do have depth there. And I think, you know, if we could get away with winning the first four games of last season and Conor Ogilvy playing in centre midfield, I think we could do it just about without Joe Morrell. Yeah, we've got enough colour there, so we should be good. Yeah, we, we should we should be okay there. And, and I'm glad that the surgery was undertaken because I think a risky manager would just ignore it and persist, yeah. which Danny Cowley certainly isn't. A couple more injuries. Apparently, Sean Raggett has been struggling with a back injury during pre-season. However, he's also, he is earmarked for the first game of the season. It was inflammation on his lower back, according to Danny Cowley in the news. But he said that Raggett will be available for the first Game, league game of the season he just doesn't want to rush him so presumably his physical condition is good enough one player who can't seem to catch a break is uh, Jaden Reed. he suffered a hamstring injury which uh, proved to be a hamstring tear according to um, BBC Radio Solent it happened after an awful collision in a friendly against Bristol City the uh, injury is not as bad as we first thought but according to them Reed will be back in contention by the end of next month. So he is also set to miss the first three or four weeks of the season. Geoff, how, uh, we're short on right, right wingers and generally plays that position. So that's another option taken away. How much do you think this will hamper his start? Because he, he just can't seem to get going. He's got He's gone off that major layoff. He's been, by all accounts, playing all right in pre-season, doing well. Mm. And then he gets this. How mentally challenging will this oh, be for him? Yeah, it's... Very challenging. I can, yeah, I've torn my hamstring before and it's the worst pain I've ever experienced. It's horrible. And so, yeah, I yeah, feel really sorry for the guy because he was out all of last season. I think it was his ACL he'd done in. And so that's, you know, two really kind of savage injuries that can also unfortunately be repeat injuries, I guess. You've seen it, you know, if a player's ACL goes once, it's kind of more likely to go again, I believe. So unfortunately... Yeah, he's torn his hamstring, which is another another savage one to do. But, you know, hopefully he should be back into contention soon. And yeah, right wing's that position where with the loss of harness, we don't have a huge amount of depth. You know, Curtis can cover there. You know, you could probably put Jacobs there or Swanson, push him up or, you know, you know, play three at the back. And you've got a couple of options at wing back there. But no, it's just, it's just, yeah, rather savage. Just, you know, trying to get back after a whole season out. And it's, you know, he's done his hamstring in. So hopefully he can get back as soon as possible and uh, yeah, not have any other any other kind of long-term injuries. Yeah, it's definitely left us wanting and it was a big 
commitment by the club to extend Reed even after yeah. that injury because I think some clubs would have just binned him off after that one season injury, especially in the position he was in. Another player who is coming back is Denver Hume. He's apparently making progress on his rehab for a back complaints that saw him miss the end of the season run in last season. Joff, depending on, the, on what Cowley wants to do formation-wise, is Hume the first choice on the left-hand side? Or does he want to play Ogilvy in left-back or left-wing-back? I think three, you're thinking you've got Raggett in the middle, Robertson and Ogilvy. Those are the three, aren't they? Well, yeah, I think, unfortunately, if you're playing a back three and Raggett is, is the guy in the middle, then you've got a left footer on the right-hand side if you're playing Robertson. Um, and Ogilvy, which is a shame, but Ogilvy excelled at left wing back last season in that role. I think in the Plymouth game, Hume got subbed off. Plymouth away, this is Hume got got subbed off from left wing back. Ogilvy came on and put in some really nice crosses and looked really solid. But I'd say in a back four, I'd go with Ogilvy as the first choice left back. Last season, playing Ogilvy, Robertson, Raggett, and Carter going from left to right. You know, four kind of traditional centre backs, if you will, but playing in a back four was super solid and you know lots of set piece threat there but you know going in playing through at the back and Ogilvy's playing left centre back then Hume yeah Hume is the guy at left wing back he's got got a bit of pace can you know his first couple of games for Portsmouth putting some really nice looking balls that I don't think our strikers could just finish but it's good to have depth in that position as well and hopefully yeah he can recover from this back problem and all the rehab goes well and hopefully he can be back and find contention for a space. He seems to be a really specialised player, which is a bit strange, almost like a luxury, where I personally don't think he's strong enough defensively as a fullback, but as a wingback, he's that archetypal aggressive wingback who's always putting crosses in, always testing opposition yeah. midfielders and fullbacks where you think, if Pompey wants to be on top of a team, you play him at wingback, but do you trust him against greater opposition that can target that side because I remember that Fleetwood game where we were 3-0 down at home brought it back to 3 all Hume that that was that side was targeted all the time do you think he do you think he needs to improve that defensive aspects of his game to get more minutes yeah I think I think he could I think you know playing in the only kind of the best way of getting getting development that way is playing in a four of the back system where you are being tested and knowing where you should be your position your role whether to go in for a challenge, whether not to, and stuff like that. And so the only way he's going to do that is with minutes. And so I think if Cowley's you know, going to be sticking to this four at the back system, which he's played all throughout pre-season, I think last season he said that going to three at the back was only because of injuries and he didn't really want to have to do that. But if he's sticking with a four at the back system, then alternate weeks on a Tuesday night, yeah, the Pizza Trophy, Carabao Cup, any other fixtures like that, Hume should be playing in that left-back role just to get as many minutes um, under his belt in that system as possible. He, de- he definitely needs more more, more game time, more work on what he's weak at, I think. One fullback that's going out the exit door, though, Kieran Freeman, we mentioned that last week. Danny Cowley confirmed this week that both him and Bass will only be leaving on permanent deals. That's the sort of thing that the club are after. If they, Depending on the fees, that could help with um, potentially incoming transfers. If those two players are to be sold, it is... Is, a, a, is the permanent transfer the only way f- for them to go for you? I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, Freeman had a pretty pretty tough last season being kind of forced to play right centre-back where he didn't really excel. But in the first few games where he played right back, he looked you know, looked really good, got in some great positions. Final ball wasn't quite there, but 
you know, he's definitely a player that, you know, can play really well at League One level and has played, you know, championship. I think it was in that championship promotion side with Sheffield United and played a lot, had a lot of minutes there. So he's, you know, he's a good operator, but, you know, if he's not going to play, then the right thing to do is for the benefit of him and the club is just get him out for a fee and hopefully we can reinvest either in a kind of development option at right centre back and send Minogue out on loan or, yeah, get a kind of more permanent signing in. Yeah, I think permanent deals are the way to go. Um, I don't know who Freeman's kind of been rumoured to go to. Um, I haven't seen loads about that, but I've seen Alex Bass and Exeter City been been linked quite heavily. So Crawley Town as well. Yes, of course, Crawley Town. I think Exeter are in need of a goalkeeper. They had Cam Dawson on loan last season from Sheffield Wednesday, who did really well, but he's gone back there and they're not... They're not keen on loaning him out, so they're in need of a keeper. But again, selling to a, a League One rival, even though they've just been promoted there, a good side with a good system. And I don't know, who knows where he'll go, but maybe Crawley will pay more money. Or maybe we can get a swap deal for Matt Jay from Exeter. That would be the ideal, but it'll never happen. <laughs> Highly unlikely, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, the sales of those players just gives County more flexibility rather than just yeah. free, freeing up the wages on loan. We're going to take a bit of a right turn now to finish this off. There are a lot of tributes for, to uh, journalist Pat Sims, who tragically passed away recently. He was a lecturer at uh, Solent University and taught many, many students who all praised him in, um, and held him in high regard. Jake Smith was one of them, broadcaster at Express FM and friend of the show. Neil Allen wrote a very moving tribute to Sims in uh, the news, especially mentioning his unflappable manner and also his ability as a reporter and just as a kind person as well. He wrote 10 books and covered Portsmouth, Portsmouth, Bournemouth and Southampton, as well as Hampshire cricket in his uh, four decades of career and started the news in 1969. He passed away aged 71 on July the 13th of this year, following a long illness. And we wish the family all the best because obviously that's a horrible thing to go through. But uh, if you want to know more about him, uh, I'd give Neil Allen's piece in the news a read. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Joff. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, we needed to get on this quickly, considering the breaking news today. So thank you for filling in. I'm not sure next week if we'll have our full accompaniment of hosts. Uh, it depends on a few as well. But uh, Joff, it's been a pleasure. Thank you again. Uh, where can people find you for Pompey Chat and other things? Uh, let the listeners know. Yeah, you, um, thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Um, great to chat all things Pompey. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter on at Pompey Stats. That's the only place where you can find me or occasionally when I'm not working um, at Fratton Park or on occasional away days in Yorkshire because that's where I tend to go for my away days. But yeah, I think that's that's all from me. Thank you very much. Stomping around my neck of the woods for on the away days. So why Yorkshire? What, 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 what makes you pick there? Uh, my younger brother is at Uni of Leeds, so... It's an excuse to go and visit him and do a couple of nights out wherever we're playing away and also night out in Leeds, which is always quality. Uh, nights out up north. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Pompey. I'm sorry, Pompey. Residents, you, you're missing out. You, you just yeah. are. <laughs> have to agree there, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's been an awesome episode as always. And until next time, play up, Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast at Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.